Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and I can't tell you guys um, how often I reference this passage. This passage is so, so vital, so important for us as a church to grasp, um, and the more you look at it, the more that's there to grasp, and it's very simple. It's very basic in a lot of ways, um, but it's very profound, you know, and it's interesting that, you know, the reality of, of uh, a lot of a lot of Christians, you can, you can go through your whole Christian life, and I know because I did it for 19 years as a Christian, um, and never really be exposed to the truth of this one simple passage. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about how becoming a Christian means something. It means that you are being transferred, you are being snatched, rescued, saved, redeemed out of a kingdom of darkness and that you are transferred into a new kingdom, uh, a kingdom of light, right? And this is a kingdom that is ruled by Jesus. And so this kingdom has new cultures, new laws, all these things. It's things we've talked about before. But there's one very interesting part of this passage today that we're going to focus at, uh, focus on. And it's before Peter lays out what does the kingdom of this new culture look like. He says this one thing in Acts chapter 2. In verse 40, and he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. And out of all these things, that's, that's actually the one thing we're going to focus on today and, and talk about what does that mean for our Christian life and actually how is the rest of the passage supposed to shape our understanding of that verse and help us live it out. All right? Everybody with me on that? So as we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. We thank you for this church, Lord, that we can gather in to worship you, to hear your word, Father, to be together. And I pray, Jesus, as we open your word today, that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive your word with a joyful obedience. So right now, Lord, we just humble our hearts before you. We declare that you are the king of this kingdom. You are the pastor of this church, Lord Jesus. And we just submit our hearts to you. So Father, I pray that you'd move me out of the way. And Holy Spirit, that you would rise up and speak everything your church needs to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, you might want to go in and edit that. I'm sorry, I, didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't start it where it needed to be. In fact, why don't you start it back at verse 36, uh, verse 37, Stephen. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background here. Does anybody know what Jesus' first and primary um, message was? You can find it in Mark 1, I think it's 115, 116, somewhere around there. Yes. Jesus' first and his primary message was repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Jews were, man, they were ecstatic, most of them, some of them, <laughs> uh, about this message because there was this idea that the Messiah was going to come and save his people, but that he was also going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And so there was this great anticipation of when is this kingdom coming? What is it going to look like? right? What, what is our place in this kingdom going to be? And of course, they were expecting a very real 
physical kingdom. They were waiting for the Messiah to show up on the white horse, like up at the cross, right, with the sword in his hands and, and you know, overtake the Roman Empire and take their, their land back and, and all these things. And, of course, that day uh, will still come. But these questions about what is this kingdom going to look like, when will it be established, what will our place in it be, are very valid questions. And they're questions that we as Christians, maybe we're not Jews, but we as Christians, we should actually have those same questions, and we should be receiving those rightful answers. And I think a lot of times we struggle in certain ways because we're not even conscious of a kingdom, of a king, of a rule. We're not even conscious um, enough of these things to ask those questions. And we don't understand that the answer to those questions are supposed to completely shape our life and our faith. Okay? So in Acts, I'll give you a little, little overview real quick. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's there with his apostles. And they're saying, Lord, when, when will your kingdom come? When will these things be? When, 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 when? And Jesus says, look, it's not for you to know all these times and seasons. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just wait in Jerusalem until the day comes where my Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. And when that day comes, you are going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they're like, okay. I don't know what that means, but I guess that's what we'll do. And Jesus, I mean, they didn't have much of a choice. Then Jesus, whoop, zipped right off to heaven. I couldn't ask him any more questions. Uh, I, need to get, I need to get a zip line or something. So when, I'm, when I'm done with my answers, I can just, whoo, no more questions. Okay. And so he leaves, and so the apostles, they wait in Jerusalem, and on the day of Pentecost, you know what happens, most of you know what happens, um, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Suddenly, these men are filled with power. They begin to speak the glories of God, and everyone hears them in their own language. <clears throat> and as the, the people, so all these Jews from all over the world, right, they're from Rome, they're from Crete, they're from all these different places, they're coming back to Jerusalem for the feast and, and to, to have sacrifice and pilgrimage. And they hear all these things and they're amazed and they know God is doing something. And so Peter capitalizes on that moment. And he stands up and he begins to preach and prove from the scriptures that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The same Messiah that they as a people had killed. And they understood that they as a people were responsible for that death, even if, hey, we weren't here, we didn't do that, it didn't matter. They understood that that guilt was on their hands. And so he preaches this gospel, and then in starting in verse 37, this is their response. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's a really good response to being convicted, by the way. What do we need to do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ, or Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now listen to this. In verse 40, it says, And then with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who, were glad, who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls 
were added to them. Okay, let's just stop right there. You know, this is one of those messages, and you, you may not have ever had this experience because I don't know how many messages you're uh, preparing uh, <laughs> to, to preach or teach, but um, there's this experience that I have quite often, I'm sure Pastor Mark has had, where you go in and you have this idea of, okay, here's what, I'm, what we're going to read through, here's the message that we're going to have, and you start reading, you start working through a passage, and then suddenly the Lord just goes, boof, and this one thing stands out that was not even in your mind to consider, and then suddenly the Lord gives you a brand new message, okay? He totally sidetracks all, all, my, all my good plants, you know, he just moves them to the side, um, no, but this is one of those things. This is one of those moments where the Lord completely diverted my mind and, and my track to make me focus on something. And it's interesting to me. I want you to notice, Peter had already preached, hey, you need to repent. You need to, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you're gonna, here's the promise that God is gonna give you his own spirit. And it's gonna be for you, for your family, and all those who, so he's already proclaimed this message, but then he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Not the be saved from the hell to come, yes. That's, that's, that's part of the salvation message he's already preached. But there's this whole life now, there's a salvation now that we're supposed to be grasping and walking in by the power that Jesus Christ provides. And so again, there should be this question, well, what does that look like? How? If I walked into a youth group and I said, hey kids, be saved from this perverse generation and just walked out, they'd be like, what the heck does that even mean? <laughs> I have no, how do I even do that, even if I wanted to? Well, the beautiful thing is the rest of the, the chapter here, the rest of the passage, gives us exactly what that looks like, okay? And so it's gonna answer for us this question about, hey, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our king, when we surrender our life to him. You know what that whole picture, you know, you're baptized in Christ and you come out a new creation. That means your old life, your old ways, your old people, your old habits, your old values, your old cultures are supposed to die because we're trading them in for something new. And with a new king comes a new culture, okay? And so before we get into the rest of this in Acts chapter 2, I want to actually give you an example. Anybody here familiar with Rahab the harlot? Anybody? Okay. So Rahab the harlot, when, when the Jews were coming to, to enter the promised land, God was giving them the land he had promised, and they came to a city called Jericho. And Jericho had these impenetrable walls, right? They were, it was an impossible fortress. There was no way these guys were going to overtake it. But God had said, I'm going to give you that city. So God gives them these crazy things to do, and they march around the city, and they blow trumpets, and all this stuff happens. And without a single sword or catapult or anything like that, I don't think they had catapults back then, but uh, without any military advancement, God causes those walls to simply fall to the ground. And you know what happens to everybody in that city? They're wiped out. God completely delivers the, the armies of Jericho, the people of Jericho, into the hand of the Israelites, except for one family, and it was the fan, family of Rahab. You see, what happened was Israel sent two, some spies into the city, and they met this woman, Rahab. And it's very interesting. 
Rahab says, hey, we as a city, all of everybody in Jericho, we know, we know that your God has basically wiped out all your enemies and the people's strength is, has, been, has fled from them and, and were terrified. They, they understood that this God was powerful and was about to overtake their city. They understood that. Were they surrendering? No. But Rahab understood this and she had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so she made, made a deal. She said, look, I will hide you. I will, I will get you out of the city so you're not discovered. But in return, I want you to save my, me and my family. And they said, hey, deal. When we come back in to overtake the city, um, I think it was like she had a, well, she had a, what, she have a red ribbon she had a tie on her door or something, something like that. You know, to, so we'll know which, which house it is, but don't come out. You stay in there. If you come out of your house, the blood's, you know, not on her hands. And so they make this deal. So Israel comes in, they destroy everyone, and Rahab and her family hide in their house and wait, and they're saved. And you know what happens there? They, they become part of Israel, okay? They become part of Israel. And they, they continue on with them, and they move, move, move. And so actually, if you go into Matthew chapter 1, and if you read the genealogy of Jesus, do you know who you're going to find? Rahab the harlot. And I believe... Rahab, I believe this is correct. I'll have to double check. Uh, Rahab, I believe, was the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the king. I believe, is that not right? Oh, Ruth. Oh, dang it. That's right. Rahab's a little higher up. That's right. Okay, a little higher up. Anyways, she's in there. Um, so Rahab becomes the great, 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 like super great grandma of Jesus because she had faith enough in this God to turn away from her people, to turn away from her life, to turn away from everything she had and surrender, literally surrender her life to this God. But here's the thing. Let me ask you something. Maybe you don't know, but how, how similar do you think the culture of Jericho was to Israel? Probably not a lot, okay? Israel had the laws and the commandments given by God. They had sacrificial laws and cleansing rites. There, there were certain ways you had to wear your clothes. There were certain ways you had to, to wash. There were certain ways you couldn't plant certain plants next to each other. I mean, there was this whole system of life and culture and worship that was completely different than what she would have, Rahab would have been experiencing in Jericho. And let me, let me just let you know this. She did not come in and say, hey, okay, I'm going to surrender to your God. I'm going to come in and be part of Israel, and let me set up my little Jericho. You know, like we have Chinatown, right, in like New York and, and California. There was no little Jericho inside of, inside of Jerusalem or inside of Israel, okay? There was no little Jericho. In order to be part of those, that people, it was not America. You just don't move in and bring your life and culture with you. You had to conform your life to Israel, to their God, and to their standards. And so Rahab had this understanding, the same understanding that as Christians we really should have and sometimes miss, that in order to do this, she couldn't just say, hey, save me and just go about living a normal life. No, in order to, to, to be saved, she was actually having to transfer 
out of this kingdom of Jericho, out of the way they lived and worshiped and thought, whatever their values were, and take on a whole new identity as an Israelite. And whatever the values of Israel were, guess what? Those were her values. Whatever the practices of Israel were, those became her practices, okay? And if she would have came into Israel, if she would have said, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I worship this God, but she kept, what do you think would have happened as they're going and conquering these nations? If she would have kept sneaking out and going back to other nations to, you know, hang out with them and worship with them and party with them, but then come back into Israel. How, do you, how well do you think that would have worked out? Not at all, okay? Not at all. You see, there, there wasn't a compromise there. It was one kingdom or another, one God or another. And there had to be a willingness to let go of everything she knew. And she, she understood she was going to have to learn this new culture. You know, the kingdom of God is the same way. We have a king. His name is Jesus. He has a kingdom that right now exists in, his, in the spirit that he gives us that is without borders. It's without hindrance. It doesn't respect any nationality or political party. No, no, no. Jesus is king. He is the one who determines the politics. And wherever he decides for his power and authority to be, it is there. And no one can tell him otherwise. Okay? And in that kingdom, just like every other, there is a lifestyle. There is a culture. There are values that we are supposed to take on to ourselves. So I want to show you what that looks like. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 40. It says, And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, you know, here's the problem. So many times we go to church, we hear a good sermon, we hear a gospel message, we raise our hand, we accept Jesus into our heart, right? And, uh, okay, well, cool. Sign up for baptism. We'll see you next week, you know. We'll put you in a, we'll put you in a class, right? And, and what do we do after church, you just go back to living life as normal. Anybody have that experience? I had that experience. You just went back to living life, and I showed back up to church the next week. Okay, Lord, do something. And then, but there was, this, there was this place where, at least for me, I didn't know what else really I was supposed to be doing. I knew that there were things that were right. I knew that there were things that were wrong. I mean, no one really needed to tell me all those things in a general sense. We, especially when we're, if we're authentically born again, the Holy Spirit's letting you know hey man, this ain't, <laughs> this ain't cool, right? But hey, this is how I've always lived. These are the values I've always had. When I'm with these people, I always smoke. When I'm with these people, I always drink, you know? 
And so we're, we're, we're saved and we're called out of darkness into this kingdom of light. And then we walk right out the front gate of that kingdom and go right back in to the nation and the people and the ways that we had always known. And a lot of times, it's not because the temptation in the pool was so strong. It's because we weren't, we weren't aware that there was any other way. We weren't aware that there was a transaction that was supposed to be made. There was a line that we were supposed to cross and not go back, right? And it's not enough for, for people to say, hey, these things, these things are bad. These things. No, it's, hey, everybody needs community. We're, 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 creature, we're creatures created for community. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs an outlet for, for fun and for, um, for growing and knowledge and understanding, for music, for arts. These are the things that create a culture. In America, we have a culture. Mexico has a culture. Spain has a culture. We all need these things. And the kingdom of God has a culture that's not supposed to add on to your life. That's supposed to make your life better. No, it's supposed to replace the old life and ways that you had. And so I want to show you here real quick in uh, verses 41 through 47. They show us a couple of things, okay? We see the, the birth of the church right here. The Holy Spirit has filled these people. People are getting saved, confessing Christ. This is the birth of the kingdom of God on earth, which we call the church, okay? And it shows us a couple of things. It shows us, well, what is the means? What are, what are the the things that make up this kingdom? What is the culture that God expects for his subjects in his kingdom to live by? It shows us what is the heart we're supposed to have, and it shows us what the outcome is. So I want you to notice in verse 41, again, those who were gladly received his word were baptized. That day, 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. Everybody say that with me. Continued steadfastly. That's a big deal because we're going to look at some things that need to become the building blocks of our life. But it's very important to understand these aren't things that, again, these are not add-ons. These are not things that we do at first with a lot of zeal and then fade off or, well, you know, we come and go. These are, these are supposed to be, become the new foundations of a Christian life. And the one thing that characterized them really well, the new church, is not just that they did these things, but that they continued in them and continued and they were steadfast. They were unwavering in their devotion to these things, okay? It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is that? It's very simple and it, it's, it means in the teachings that the apostles were giving. We now have the New Testament, Okay? The New Testament contains the apostles' doctrines, the teaching of Christ. It was understanding of who God was and what salvation looked like. It was the worship practices, the things that they were supposed to do, the things that honored God, the things that dishonored God. And if you notice, it says that they continued, they were doing this together, they would come together in fellowship and they would reaffirm these truths to one another so that why? Man, at some point, we have to have an on-ramp into Christian living. Otherwise, what's gonna happen is people are gonna get saved and they're gonna keep living lost for a long time. For a long time. Because there's never an understanding of what is God doing? What has God designed me for? What, is, what does he want from me? Why are these things important? You know, I talk to people all the time and they have certain questions and one of the things um, I get asked a lot is, hey, well, how do, you, how do you talk to people about homosexuality? 
you know, it's kind of a touchy subject. Or how do you, hey, how do you talk to a homosexual about homosexuality, right? How do you talk about those things? And I said, hey, man, it's very easy. You just tell them what the scripture says in love. But then here's the, here's the one thing people don't usually do. And the reason why they don't have these conversations in a good way, they never tell them why. Oh, homosexuality is abomination. Great. <laughs> you did not help that person at all. You just made them feel bad. Okay? But there's a reason why. There's a, there's a purpose in God's creation. Right? For man and woman. There's a, there's a glory in procreation. There's all these things. Why? And the same thing. Why do we pray? Why do we tithe? Why do we show up to church and listen to me rant for an hour or 30 minutes on Sundays, right? Why do we do these things? The scriptures has an answer for us that enrich our lives. And so being together and continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine is very important. Also in fellowship, oh, I'm sorry. Also in fellowship, they are together, um, living their lives together. They were not isolated. And we've talked about this before, that the American culture is completely contrary to everything we're gonna read. Because American culture says that you need to be independent, successful, you need to have what you want, handle your issues, leave everything else that comes against that alone, and don't let anybody in your life that might slow you down. Yeah, that's the American kingdom. When you were baptized, you left that kingdom behind. And this is a new one. And one of the things that Christ has called you into is fellowship. The good fellowship, the bad fellowship, the ugly fellowship, right? That we all have struggles we're working through, but we work through them together. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, I, I just had a, someone message me yesterday, actually, and I get this a lot about there's sooner or later, um, as Christians are developing their faith, they're always going to be faced with this question, well, hey, how, why don't we keep the Old Testament laws? Why don't we keep the Sabbath? Why don't we, you know, do these things? How, why don't we keep the feasts of Israel, right? I just got that same question again yesterday. Well, here's the thing, guys. You know, do you know Christians, we actually have a feast we're supposed to keep? And there's only one in the whole New Testament, and it's the breaking of, it's the communion feast. That as often as we do this together, as we're breaking bread together as a sign of fellowship and community, that we're doing it in the name of the Lord. Right? We break the bread, we pour the juice or the wine, and we celebrate our times together. Okay? And that's a, that is a foundational point of Christian living. And then finally, in prayers. And prayers, of course, is an act of worship. Because a lot of times we know we need to pray, we're supposed to pray, oh yeah, Lord, help us. But we're not really giving the time to sit down, to stop what we're doing, to set our heart towards God and say, Lord, you are the only one who can answer this problem. I'm asking you to act because you are the God of my life. There's something about that focused, steadfast work of submitting our heart to God that's very pleasing to him because it's worshiping him. It's saying, hey, you are the one I'm recognizing who can solve my issues. You are the one who's worthy for me to stop striving and trust in. And when we do that together, the Bible shows that in the throne room of God right now in the heavenly places, there are these incense rising up before him that is this beautiful fragrance that is just the prayer of the saints prayer of the saints coming up before his face day and night, you know? And my hope is that our fragrance is part of that, right? So he says, hey, 
When the church was born, these are the things that they did together. They continued in doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued breaking bread and in prayers together. And it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, now all who believed were together. So we're going to switch real quick. So that, those are the building blocks of kingdom culture. Those are the things that now our, our lives are supposed to um, gravitate towards. Okay? And I want to just mention real quick, you know, one of the things that happened to me, that was probably one of the best things that happened to me, that when I really surrendered my life to Jesus, said, okay, I'm done playing games with the world. Lord, I need to follow you, and I really need your help. One of the first things he did, and actually it was kind of a promise of mine to him, was he cut me off from everybody I knew. All of my friends, everybody I hung out with, partied with, gone. Like that. And I was like oh, basically alone. For, I had one, one real friend I spent a lot of time with. Um, and I was basically alone for the next two years. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, because as long as I was with those people, you know what I was doing? The same thing they were doing. Why? Because I was in fellowship with them. I was in communion with them, which means that when I was there, we were sharing values. I shared their values. I was affirming their values. I was participating in their actions and their mindsets and their hearts. And all of those things, all those values, all those actions, all those things that I was a part of were completely contrary to the kingdom of God. And in order for my heart to really be set on the things of Christ, I had to cut off all those things that were against his kingdom. I mean, we really are in a war. I want you to think about back into the medieval ages or whatever, right? If you left England and you moved into the kingdom of France in the midst of a war, and they let you in for some strange reason, but then you didn't really want to, you know, you didn't really want to adapt their language. You didn't want to adapt their culture. You didn't want to really want to submit to their king. You kind of just wanted to live your own English life in the middle of, a, of the kingdom of France. You know what probably would have happened? At best, you would have been kicked out. At worst, you would have been killed. Probably would have thought you were a spy, okay? I think sometimes we, we do have spies in the church. <laughs> People in the world who are willing to come in, maybe get baptized, but they're not willing to submit to the kingdom rule of Jesus Christ, Right? Or maybe sometimes we, we do come into the kingdom, but we're still running back and partnering with the world. At some point, that has to give. At some point, we have to give up our life and pick up Christ. And this is the heart that they had. It says, so continuing, I'm sorry, uh, verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. It was no longer about themselves. It was now about the common good um, of these people and the love that Jesus Christ had given them. And in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so this is the outcome. This is the outcome of us really surrendering our ways and our lives and taking up Christ is that God begins to bless us. He begins to show us favor, not just with him, but also with people around us. The Old Testament says, hey, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's a lot of favor, right? And that the, and that 
the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. Probably the most fruitful time of ministry that I've ever experienced is when what we just read, this community, that daily we were continuing together to just pray, to read, to fellowship, to break bread, when that was really the foundation of the community we had here, and people were getting saved left and right, and people were coming out of darkness, and they were experiencing the love of God in real powerful ways because they were not told a good message and then left in their old kingdom and culture, but they were invited into a new culture, and they were seeing it, and they were hearing it, and it was being reinforced in them. And so right from the get-go, you know, what a Christian's life is supposed to look like, it was embedded to them. We didn't really have to teach it because it was the only Christianity they had seen from day one. This is so important to us, not just for ourselves, to continue growing, to continue honoring the Lord, to know him more. But it's also important for us, for the culture of our church, for the people that we're ministering to. Because if they hear the good message of Jesus Christ and they come in and just see the same thing that they see in the world, they're gonna continue falling back into sin, back into struggle, back into depression. And we're not really gonna have anything to offer them. Guys, we need to offer people new life. Not just eternal life. Not just one day you're gonna die and then there's a reward. But we need to be offering new life now. And the only way that's going to happen is when we understand that there is actually a standard of life that Christ is calling us to. And when we begin to pick that up and devote ourselves continually to them. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I ask that as we hear your word and as we consider the format that you've given us in Acts chapter two, Lord, that we would be like Rahab and we would understand that, hey, there's a new life. Our life is gonna change. Our values are gonna have to change. Our expectations are gonna have to be changed. But Lord, you are the one who saves. You are the one who delivers. And as the rest of those people perished in your judgment, she was saved. So, Lord, let it be for, uh, the same for us. And, Lord, teach us how to walk with you. Lord, just one day at a time, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts, that you would remind us of these things, and we would just make one decision at a time to turn to prayer, to turn to fellowship, to turn to your word, to be exposed to your doctrine, and allow you to do your work, Holy Spirit, in our hearts and minds so that we can all grow together more and more into your body. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.